All right. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, my name is Solomon Abaki. I'm one of the pastors here. And you're very much welcome uh, today. I know we're looking forward to enjoy our Memorial Day out. But before that, we just want to enjoy being in presence of God and just enjoying his word as well. Can I make a prayer? Lord, we just thank you this afternoon. We are so blessed to be at your feet where we find joy, where we partake of your word that is able to save our soul, to strengthen us, to cause us to journey with you, and to cause us to be a people that you've called, chosen, made for this good work. Amen. Amen. So in Nehemiah chapter 6, there's a question here. It's like my title. It says, how might we endure the schemes of the enemy, if we have a holy ambition and attempting to do something great for the good of people and the glory of God. So there's a place of being called to endure the schemes of the enemy. And we'll see from this chapter, just like Ronald has just read about from these verses, we see the enemy portraying or showing himself in several ways or several schemes that I'll be able to share as we go or we journey along uh, through this time. So how can we endure those schemes when we have an assignment that he has for us in our different spheres of influences, whether be a mom, whether be a dad, whether be in a place that you've been assigned by God in corporate setup, secular setup, public setup, there's a place that God is calling you and I to be able to endure because there's a holy calling, especially for us as believers. We've been called by a holy calling. And it's upon me and you to know that I can't separate someone who works in church because sometimes people think people who work in church, they are the people who have been having a holy calling. And we who work in other secular setup or corporate setup, it's not a holy calling. It is. Because you bear the name of Jesus wherever you are. And you become a target of the enemy once you had said, I'll denounce the devil and all his work. You know, when people go to baptism or when you profess Jesus. So the moment you say, I denounce that, then you became a target. And we see in chapter 6, Nehemiah, we see the enemies are trying to sack the quarterback. Nehemiah is like a quarterback for them that know American football. I was just introduced to American football when I came to the United States. So I never knew what a quarterback meant. So him as a target, we know when he's being targeted, definitely the team will lose. When you target the quarterback, it's very hard for that team to win the game. The end result is they will lose. But we find several lessons from here in this chapter of the book. Not only lesson, but also an encouragement to you and I. Nehemiah doesn't cave in to the fears of the enemy. Why? Because he fears God. The only thing that will make us to cave in to the fears of the enemy is when there is no reverence toward God. But when I know, when I revere God, this fear is not like, oh, God will do me harm or if I do something wrong. No, but it's reverent toward God. And Nehemiah knew how to worship God. And because he knew he's God, he could not cave in 
into the enemy's trap. His great and awesome God granted him strength, wisdom, and resolve to endure. For us to be able to endure all those challenges, the arrows that the enemy might throw toward us, we need wisdom. We need strength. We need resolve. Those freaky things, they help us to endure when the enemy is really relentingly, you know, attacking us different directions. The schemes of the enemy were intended to intimidate Nehemiah, just like the the enemy wants to do to us as well. To intimidate us from not carrying forth what God has assigned us to do. And the the verb frighten or be afraid has been mentioned here four times. Imagine in just chapter 6, the word afraid, frightened has been mentioned. And we will we, we'll be able to disclose why was the enemy using fear toward Nehemiah not accomplishing what the Lord had called him to do together with the rest of the people of building the walls of Jerusalem. Well, the wall of Jerusalem may be something physical. But for us, it's something spiritual. Maybe you're building something that God has called you in your own career. And you're there to really build it up for his glory. Or maybe you're raising your kids. And it seems like everything is not going as you intended to be. The kids are messing about. And there's fear that what if this and that happen? Or maybe as a single person, you feel like, Some people are progressing. You're trying to build something, but it's not working as well. And so this message is for you and I as well, to be able to know it's not just a physical wall, but it's a spiritual thing as well. We see in verse 9, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. Verse 13, for this reason he was hired that I should be afraid. And act the way. That way and sin. Verse 14. Prophetess Nodiah and the rest of the prophets who will have made me afraid. In verse 19. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. You see the tactic of the enemy? But Nehemiah shows us that by fearing God supremely, you can view all other fears rightly. That's where we've been called. When I view God supremely, that my God reigns, is sovereign, is overall. Then I'm able to, be, uh, to view things, my fears, rightly. There's a, a guy who wrote the song, God is good all the time. He says that, though I may not understand all the plans he has for me, through the eye of faith, I can clearly see that God is good. It needs us to have the eye of faith to see that, I'm not able to see anything good coming out of this. But through the eye of faith, I can see God is at work. And that's what we see in Nehemiah's life. He viewed God, the supremacy of God, and viewed all other fears rightly. And that helped him to press on faithfully. So when we see God supremely, we are able to view things or our fears rightly in their own place. And it helps us to press on. Paul says, I press on toward the mark of the price to which God has called me. And that's where we're being called. When I've been assigned, I'm pressing on because I know I'm doing it for the glory of God. And so nothing will stop me because I'm viewing my God supremely. 
All of us, we, are famous, we know this famous song, Amazing Grace. You know, how sweet the sound. Say, grace has taught my heart to fear and my fears relieve. Meaning this, the enabling power of God. Another meaning of grace, the enabling power of God has taught my heart to revenge God. It's not that fear that if I do something, it will hit me, you know, but to revive, to worship him. And as I worship him, my fears are being relieved. That's what happens. And Nehemiah knew this. And I can encourage all of us. Grace teaches us to worship him. And then fears are being relieved from our presence. We see the good hand of God is upon Nehemiah. The grace, the enabling power that enable him to handle all these fears. So which kind of fears that the enemy bring on our way as we learn from Nehemiah? The tactic that the, the enemy used in the life of Nehemiah. Number one, deception. The enemy used deception. When you read verse 1 to 4, which I won't read all the verses, but I'll pick key verses. The enemies are strategizing deceptively against Nehemiah. In fact, verse 2a says, Come, meet us in the plain of, oh no. <laughs> you can just like, oh no. But it's say, oh no. <laughs> That's what actually the enemies are saying. And we know Ono was 20 miles north from Jerusalem. Imagine the enemy removing him away from work, far away. To something that he knew is not helpful. Whatever he was doing is important. So what they actually are saying, these, these guys, they are saying, let's lure him to a meeting. And these guys are relentless. Not one time, not two times, but four times. They move from towns to political intrigue. Let's hold a political conference, a summit. They're calling him to something great. Which wasn't, of course. It must have been tempting for Nehemiah since the place they were calling him was a lush area. A nice place to retreat, a place of vacation. Sometimes we feel like I need a vacation. You know, just go and retreat and enjoy the things. I don't want, I've worked and this wall is still taking so many days. Let me just take a vacation. And that's what these guys were trying. Like, man, you need a vacation. Stop building the wall. Just take a retreat. But we know Satan is a master deceiver. There's only thing, the best thing that Satan is good at is deception. If you come across, I mean, if you forget any message that I'm, I'm preaching today, just get no, Satan is good in one thing. He's a master deceiver. He may change the packages, but the content is the same. But what is Nehemiah's response when the enemy comes in as a, as a deceiver? And what is our response? How, to, how do we deal with deception? Number one, we need discernment. Nehemiah says to say no to oh no. Can you tell your neighbor, say no to oh no. Because <laughs> most of us, we come in a place like oh no. You get So say no to oh no, your oh no. Sometimes your oh no might be not your neighbor's oh no. <laughs> it's totally different. This is Nehemiah's honor just to teach us a lesson here. Nehemiah knew the intentions were malicious. In fact, verse 2, 
part B of it. He said, they intended to do me harm. That's why he could say, no. I know you guys are malicious. Why does he say no? He is discerning. He is not mindless. He just doesn't respond. He's not mindless. He's not clueless. He detects the enemy's intentions. And throughout this book, you find him using great wisdom. Trusting God doesn't mean it's okay to be clueless. When we're trusting God, it doesn't mean like, like, okay, we're just clueless. No. We need a discerning heart. In fact, Proverbs chapter 14 verse 16 says, A wise man suspects danger. So, for you to suspect danger, you're being equated as a wise man. <laughs> In this particular portion of the verse. And cautiously avoids evil. But the fool is arrogant and careless. And Nehemiah wasn't a fool. He wasn't careless. And that's the place God is calling us. To be wise. Romans 16, 19 says, be excellent at what is good. Be innocent of evil. Oh, it means, other version says, be wise at what is good. Be naive of that which is evil. Where does this discernment come from? Because Nehemiah fears God, he prays, his mind is full of scripture. You may ask Solomon, how do I grow in discernment? I, 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 don't, I don't have this. The enemy come in deceptive way. How will I know that this is a deceptive way? Or how can I grow in it? Number one, praying regularly. The Bible encourages men all to pray and not faint. When I say pray regularly, it doesn't mean you lock yourself the whole day. Every other day. No, but I'm communing with my father. Prayer is a monologue. I talk to him. He talks back to me. And as I communicate with God, he's able to tell me his mind. Because God, that is the only language that God understands. Number two, seeking companionship of the Holy Spirit. One of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is discernment of spirits. So for me to be able to discern I have to be in communion with the Holy Spirit. He helps me. Number three, apply, I mean, studying the scriptures. Study and show yourself approved. Remarkmanship that is not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul is telling Timothy that. So as we study the scriptures, we are, being, we are able to prove that which is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Because the scriptures renews our mind, according to Romans chapter 12, it renews our minds when we study it. But it doesn't stop there. I may pray, I may be in companionship with the Holy Spirit, I may apply the scriptures, but I also have to, I mean, I may study the scripture, but I also have to apply the scriptures. It's one thing to know the scriptures of it, but it's another thing to live it. Because as I apply the scripture in my life, I begin to live the gospel on a daily basis. And that helps me. To be familiar with the still small voice that tells me in Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21. Whenever if Solomon turns to the right or he turns to the left, his ear will hear what? What does he say? His ear will hear what? A voice behind saying what? This is the way. Walk in it. So when the enemy come with a deception, I'm able to hear no. I can say no to oh no. I'm doing this work. That's where I've been called. Number two, how do we deal with deception? Just like Nehemiah did. Focus. 
Verse 3 says, I am doing a great work and I can't come down. Nehemiah doesn't give in to pushy people. Have you ever come across pushy people? But have you also been pushy to someone as well? As well? <laughs> you know, most of us like, I've come across, but have I been pushy to someone else? So Nehemiah doesn't give in to pushy people. He stays focused. Instead, he sends a messenger. You may think, or I may think that Nehemiah is being rude here, that he sounds arrogant by saying, no, I'm doing a great work. I'm busy. Of course he's busy. He's got more important things to do. And four times he say, no to, oh no. <laughs> he says, no, I'm doing a great work. He remains focused. His eyes is on the ball. And that's what Jesus knew. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish it. And we're being called in that place of focusing. How do we apply this in our lives? How is it relevant to us today in this generation? Here as we gather this morning, I mean this afternoon. We have been invited to say no to temptation and the things that will divide us from calling, from our calling and from our assignment. There are so many things that want to drive us away from our assignment, from our calling. But there's this scripture that encourages Titus chapter 2 verse 11 to 14 says, For the remarkable and deserved grace of God and unfavor of God enabling power of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So, even if you're here and you're not believing God, I mean, you're not a believer, the grace of God, the enabling power is at work in your life that brings salvation. And even for us who believe, that enabling power is the one that led us into salvation. It's remarkable. The Bible says that. It teaches us to reject ungodliness and wild immoral desires. So what teaches us? The grace of God. The enabling power of God. It teaches us to reject and to live sensible and godly lives with a purpose. So not only the enabling power of God teaches us to reject and say no to our honor, but also it empowers us to live a godly life. The God who began this work in us is sustaining us to live it. He begins it and he sustains us to, to live it. So that we are purposefully and we are able to reflect spiritual maturity in this present age. We are living in a wicked world and we need the grace of God. The enabling power of God to help us. Awaiting and confidently expecting the fulfillment of a blessed hope and the glorious appearing of a great God and Savior. So not only the grace of God making us to reject and inviting us, but also it prepares us as we await expectantly for the appearing of our Lord, of our great and our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, who himself is purifying us. The Bible says that. He does the purification work to make us a special and a chosen people. So you're a special before God. You and I, we are very special. We are chosen. We are chosen for the good work. And so that grace enables us to carry that forth. And then Nehemiah knew this. I've been called for this work and God has graced me. And so he's empowered me to be able to be focused and say no 
to, to his honor. And also I'm inviting us that that grace may it work in our life to say no to our own honor. There's a difference in being available to people and being a puppet for people. I can be available, but I'm not a puppet. <laughs> you can be a puppet and not be available. You know, it can work either way. There is a difference in being a servant of God for the good of people and being a people pleaser. But it's, it's essential to stay focused on biblical principality, I mean, pre, uh, biblical priorities. And this reminds me, when I was still uh, a college student, I used to be available and be a puppet to people. Like, oh, Solomon, you want to do this? Yes. You know, I couldn't say no to, oh, no. I was like, yes. But when I got married, my wife told me, say no. <laughs> say no. And sometimes God uses people closer to you to say, no, 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 get focused. Refocus yourself. It's very important in this world to be able to leave the assignment that God has called you to. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 4 says, No soldiers in active service gets entangled in the ordinary business affairs of civilian life. He avoids them so that he may please the one who enlisted him to serve. Why do we avoid the honors? Because we want to please the one that has called us to serve him. That's the, that's the main thing. I'm not doing it so that I can be popular or be known as a righteous person. No. Because I want to please my father. Jesus says, whatever I see my father is doing, I also do. And that's where we're being called, that we please our father. And so I won't be involved in the things that want my attention if they are not the things that God really wants me to focus on. So focus on your priorities. You have to live out of conviction and not guilt. Sometimes you feel guilty because someone told you, can you do this? Uh, I won't. And later on, oh, you, you say, I will. And then later on, you feel guilty. Like, why, why, did, I, why did I not say no? We as human beings, we are very quick to sometimes justify ourselves or tell the reason why I can't do one, two, three. Just say no. You don't have to explain yourself. Just say no. I'm carrying on something else. That God has called me to. And you don't have to explain yourself. Nehemiah didn't have to, to explain himself. They saw what he was doing. The work that he was carrying on. In this age we are living in. We will be faced with a lot of peer pressure. How will we live? To please. I mean. Do we live to please people? There are peer pressure all over. Even David at his own age. There is a peer pressure as well. And someone younger here as well. There is a peer pressure. For you to just be doing something, it may look good, but it's not the perfect will of God. So God is calling us to that which is perfect, whatever assignment he has for us. Will we live out of conviction to glorify God or guilt to please people? Tell your neighbor, say no to all no. So if you come out of this place and you have not gotten anything, the honor thing will work. I believe so. <laughs> Scheme number two. Slander. The enemy uses slander. Verse five to nine. I won't read all these verses, but the key verses. So these guys are saying, let's spread false report about his motives. They are attacking Nehemiah's integrity and character. They are playing political hardball. Verse five. There's an open letter in verse five. This meant that everyone had an access. It's in the public 
I. It's a smear campaign. It's like a blog, a website that someone has devoted to assassinating someone's reputation. Talk about character assassination. And sometimes people use Facebook, IG, and all that to assassinate your character because the enemy has decided to use them. Nehemiah, that's what was happening in his life here. In fact, verse 6, they're saying, it is reported among the nations. If it was me, people would say, it is reported among people in Roosevelt Island <laughs> that Solomon is doing this and that. And with your spheres of influence. It's so, I mean, it sounds so official according to the reports. They're accusing him of treason, of rebelling against the king. This is a big deal if Nehemiah wants to keep his head. But Nehemiah had no aspiration of it. In fact, verse 7, these people don't stop. The report continues. You even have appointed prophets for yourself. So not only this, I mean, everything is just toward manipulating, you know, threats, fear-mongering in verse 7b. We see that. But what is Nehemiah's response? And how can we deal with slander when it comes on our way? When false reports spread about us, there is not a lot we can do. Can you be able to do anything? No, except to deny them. Pray and submit yourself to God. So we see number one, how did Nehemiah respond? He immediately denies the reports. He simply refused them. He says, this is not reality. And this is a lesson for me and you as well. We have to believe nothing until we hear the source. What is the source? Where is it coming from? Rumors are filled with exaggeration, which are normally fueled by someone's fear. They are saying, Nehemiah is building the wall. Now he's going to build an army and kill the king. Rumors lead to deep personal heart. And I pray that we may not be found rumormongering about our brothers and our sisters in the Lord. Let's not play the rumor game. Let's guard our tongue. Let's speak to the source. And Nehemiah knew why they were spreading these lies. They were, to in, they were there to intimidate, to cause the work to cease. Number two, he prays, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah prays all through this book. He says, strengthen me, not change the situation. Most of, most of us will be like, Lord, change the situation. But Nehemiah says, no, I'll pray. I'll pray, Lord, strengthen me. And God obviously did. God never told us that following Jesus will be easy, but he does promise to empower us and to strengthen us. We will face opposition for living a godly life. Let me tell you, when you choose to live a godly life, you will face opposition. I won't lie to you. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We can be cheerful because Jesus has overcome the world for us. Amen. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. says, let me so. I'm agreeing with it. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 says, Indeed, all who delight in pursuing righteousness and are determined to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be hunted and persecuted because of their faith. We all share a common enemy. 
Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's what Nehemiah is saying. Lord, strengthen me. And for you today, you can say, Lord, strengthen me in the power of your might. To be able to overcome the slanderous things that the enemy is sending on my way. We go to battle in the Lord's strength with the Lord's weapon. Paul prayed that Ephesians will be strengthened in the inner man. Ephesians 3.14. And Paul to Timothy says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Simply means, be strong in the enabling power that is in Jesus Christ. That's where our strength comes from. Look at the threats the disciples of Jesus faced. Peter and John. They were arrested. Why? Because they were preaching in the name of Jesus. And then later on they were released and vehemently warned that do not preach in this name. Something that is very hilarious is this. They could do miracles in the name of Jesus but not to preach. So sad. When you read Acts chapter 4 verse 29. What, did they, what was the response of the disciples? It says... And now, Lord, look. They hand the, the thing to, to the Lord. They say, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word of salvation with all boldness. You need boldness. We need boldness. I need boldness. The Bible says the writers are as bold as a lion. We need to be bold. Joshua was being encouraged. Be strong. Be bold. Be courageous. For the Lord your God is with you. We need that. To be able to face the enemy. Scheme number three the enemy uses. Religious conspiracy. Verse 10. So they are saying, let's have false prophets threaten him and discredit him. According to verse 14, there are more prophets involved. Not one. Imagine. Many prophets are involved to bring this guy down. He's a target. We see Shemaiah, Nadiah, and other prophets mentioned. Verse 10a, we see Shemaiah is a prophet who apparently used to be a trustworthy preacher. Otherwise, Nehemiah wouldn't have entered his house. He trusted him before. He's confined to his bed, probably as an illustration of God's people in fear. Or Nehemiah who is in danger. Verse 10b, we see Shemaiah's message. Let's meet in the temple. They are going to kill you. Is a false prophet. How did he know this is a false prophet? Because Nehemiah knew that he had a work, he had work to do. Whatever God has started, he has to finish it. It's almost finished. Nehemiah isn't a priest. This will be a sin, and they think if they scare him, he will do it. He say, No, I won't be scared. God is with me. I'm courageous in, in the Lord. So Nehemiah's response is. Number one, courage. How do we deal with religious conspiracy? We need courage. Tell your neighbor you need courage. Say, should a man like me run away? This will show lack of trust in God. It will show cowardice. It will discredit him as a leader. We are told over and over not to be afraid in the scriptures as I've just mentioned. In fact, Luke chapter 12 verse 4. Jesus tells disciples... I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will appoint out to you whom we shall fear. Fear the one who after he has killed, he has the authority and power to hurl you into hell. Yes, I say to you, stand in great awe of God. 
and fear him. If there is anything you need to fear, it's God. No human being, nothing. But not that fear of, you know what we're saying, but reverent worship toward him. Number two, faithfulness to scripture. When you read verse 11b to 13, which I won't read. Nehemiah knows the scripture. He knows what the scripture says. And he knows that it will be a sin. It will give him a bad name. He fears sinning more than dying. And I, I, I just check myself. Do I fear sinning more than dying? I ask myself as well. Nehemiah fears yeah, sinning more than dying. He fears offending God more than the threats of people. First John chapter 4 verse 1 says, Test the spirit to see whether they are from God. He knows that this is a false prophet because Nehemiah knows the scripture. You have to know it to follow it. And we are being called to not believe everything a person says. Who has a word from the Lord? But that word contradicts what the scripture plainly says. So that what it means is, whatever Solomon is saying here, you, go and you need to go back like the Bereans and read the word for yourself. Was Solomon saying the things that God wanted me to hear? Or he's saying his own stuff? It's important to test the spirit. Number three, pray in light of who God is. So not only are we courageous and faithful to the scriptures, but we also pray in light of who God is. Sometimes, unfortunately, most of us believers, sometimes we find ourselves like we really do not know who our God really is. But we have to know our God is supreme. He reigns sovereignly. He says, God, deal with them. He has left vengeance to God. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says, Brethren, do not avenge yourself. But leave room for God's wrath. Because vengeance is, is his. He says, vengeance is mine. So I don't take matters in my own hand. I hand them over to the one who knows how to deal with them. Well, more than me. And that's what Nehemiah did. He trusts in God to remember his good deeds and to execute justice on those who are opposed to God's plans. This is why Nehemiah does what he does. It's not for approval. He doesn't want to be popular. No. He didn't want. He's seeking to glorify God. He's living with a proper fear of God. Proverbs chapter 1, 7 says, The reverent fear of the Lord... Worshipping him and regarding him as truly awesome is the beginning. Is the beginning of wisdom. It is the end of wisdom. Which takes me to the last point. The fourth scheme that the enemy uses is internal pressure. If he doesn't succeed in deception, he will use slander. If he doesn't succeed in slander, he will use religious conspiracy. People who are close to you. Sometimes who pretend to be believers, but they are not. And then fourthly, you will use internal pressure if that doesn't work. Verse 15, we see the mission is complete. The wall has been built. This had to be thrilling for all to see. These ordinary people in the face of opposition, they are rising to build the wall in just 52 days. But we might notice how anti-dramatic it is. The bigger challenge was not building the wall, but building the people. In verse 15b, we see the people were afraid. They stood in awe and were perhaps nervous about the implication of it. If these people can do this in 52 days, what might this mean for us? We see verse 16, how it was done. 
with the help of our God. Nehemiah credit everything to God. That's what he does. All the credit goes. Whatever we are doing, we know all the credit goes to God. But the enemy doesn't stop. <laughs> you think the enemy still stop? No. When you read verse 17 to 19, Tobiah causes problems all through this book until the end of chapter 19. I mean, the end of chapter 13. We are only in the sixth chapter, but this guy has not stopped. Even the walls have been built, but it's still. And that's what the enemy is relentless to what this guy. Here it seems that, number one, he had a profitable trading agreement with the upper class in Jerusalem. Number two, he was linked with the wealthier families by marriage. This Tobiah. But in verse 19, we see Nehemiah is aware that these letters were intended to arouse more fear. But again, here's the key for Nehemiah. He fears God more. That's why we're being called to fear God more and not our enemy. If God is for us, what can the enemy do to us when he has called us for this assignment? Grace has taught my heart to fear and my fears relieve. What fears do you have today? I want to just invite the worship team here. What fears do you have this afternoon, even from this portion of scripture? God is greater. Tell your neighbor, God is greater. Is greater than your fears. Is greater than your intimidations. The intimidation that are thrown on your way is greater than them. How do we deal with internal pressure? Seeking God. Amen. We seek God. David said, I sought the Lord and he had me and he delivered me from all my fears. Not one fear, but all my fears. When we seek God, he comes forth. He hears us. Not only does he stop there, but he delivers us from all our fears. And we can connect confidently with the one who empowers us through our adversity. Are you facing adversity right now? Or maybe you know someone that is facing the same adversity that you're facing. Or someone facing challenges who is so close to you. A family member, a friend. We can connect with the one that empowers us to be able to face those adversity head on. Proverbs 35 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. We can connect with God. God is telling us, connect with me. Solomon, connect with me. Ronaldo, that's what he's calling us. Connect with me. You can be empowered to face those adversity. Number three, cast your cares on him. Why? All your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, because he cares for you affectionately. I mean, our God cares for us affectionately and watchfully. No, I mean, he's watching over our lives. In fact, they say the eyes of the Lord run to and fro. His eyes upon the righteous to deliver them and to hear their cries. That's what our God does in our lives. He hears our cry. His eyes, his ears, his eyes are attentive to your cry. So I can cast my fears, my worries, my anxieties upon him because he's watchfully, he's watching over me. He cares for me. 
And then lastly, fight the good fight of faith. Amen. The only fight we're being called is to which fight? Good fight of faith. That's what we're being called. A good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. Jesus has called us to eternal life. As we fight the good fight, we've got to know that God will give us the victory. Amen. Victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to our God. For everyone born of God is victorious. Can we just rise up on our feet? As you read that scripture, I want to just read that scripture. 1 John chapter 5:4. Can we go for everyone? Can I hear your voice for everyone? Born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world. Our continuing persistent faith in the Son, Jesus, the Son of God. So if you're here and this has ministered to you in the worries, the anxieties, I want to just invite the prayer team. They will be singing over here. But if you're here as the song continues, don't wait until the song ends. You can just come as they sing along and you need prayer. Someone to, to help you to be strengthened. Maybe you're facing anxieties and worries and burdens and fears or someone is, you fear about your health or someone's health. This is the moment. It's called us to be persistent, have a persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. So as they sing, please, uh, if you're that person, you just don't wait until the end of the service. You can just come along. We'll pray for you. We'll pray with you and just believe God.